Okay, so we've got a double bill this week. We've got two psalms that we're we're considering in our series of of psalms. We're looking at Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And they're, they're treated as a pair because they both relate to its thought, an incident uh, in David's life, the incident of, of David after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. Um, it's probably a story most of us are, are familiar with. Just a, a very quick recap in the sake of context on that story. It's when King David, the king of Israel, um, he's powerful, he's wealthy, he's got everything that he wants, but he sees a woman from afar called Bathsheba, and he learns that she's married to a man named Uriah, but nevertheless he calls for her to be sent to him, and he sleeps with her, and she conceives a child. So King David hatches a plan um, to get rid of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Uriah is fighting in the Israelite army, and um, David sends word to the army, and he calls for the other fighters to withdraw from around Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And as that happens, Uriah's uh, shot down with arrows by the opposing army. And then we read that um, David calls Bathsheba to him and marries her. And it says that God was displeased with what David had done. So that's a, a very quick um, recap of that story, just for, for some context as we look at the Psalms we're looking at today. Um, and it's really, uh, the first Psalm is, is that we're looking at is Psalm 51. And... It explicitly says in the opening text, um, in my Bible at least, it says, A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we know that this psalm is, is relating to that incident. It's, it's a psalm of confession. That's something that's obvious straight away as we, as we read the opening few verses. It's David coming to God. He's weighed down with the guilt of what he's done, the sin that he's committed. And he comes to God and he, he simply confesses. He doesn't hide his sin. He doesn't hold it back any longer. He doesn't try and belittle it or play it down. He acknowledges that he's done something that's against God. His sin is against God. And he comes to God and he simply asks for cleansing from his guilt and from his sin and freedom from it. And as we'll see when we, when we get into the, the psalm, he asks for a new heart as well, for repentance, so that he doesn't find himself in this situation again. That's the first psalm we're looking at, Psalm 51. And then in contrast, Psalm 32, it's, it's, um, it's a joyful psalm. It's a psalm of praise that David's written. And similar to Psalm chapter 1, which we looked at at the start of our series, it starts with those words, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. So it's clear that at this point, David has received forgiveness from God. And this psalm is no longer about confession and the, the weight of his guilt, but it's about rejoicing. And as, we, as we'll see when we come to read it, he, he looks back on the strength-sapping guilt that he felt at the time of his, his experience. But now he's able to recognise that God has fully forgiven him when he confessed his sin. And the psalm goes on to to urge others, to exhort anyone who, who hears the psalm, to come to God with their sins, to know the forgiveness that David knows. And then it finishes with words from, from God himself, it's thought. Um, and the words of God urge David not to be like a horse or a mule, who um, they just know rewards and punishment. They don't have any concept of morality, but rather 
um, God urges David and all those who read the psalm to know God's will and to choose what's, what's good and right. That's what we're, we're looking at today, a very quick um, overview really. We'll start by just um, very quickly reading through, through Psalm 51. <clears throat> so Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Saviour and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So we'll, we'll leave it there for the reading for now and come to the, the other psalm later. So, as we said, this psalm is, is a confession of David. He's, he's come to God weighed down by his guilt and, and he can no longer keep silent. He comes to God and he confesses that he's, he's sinful and he's done, done something um, against God, something wrong. So the first thing that we can um, perhaps be struck by in this is, is in verse 4, uh, David says, Against you, that's, that's God, against you, you only, have I sinned. So perhaps we, we could ask ourselves there, well, how can David say that? Um, surely he's not, just, he's not just wronged God. He's wronged Uriah. He's wronged Bathsheba. So how can he say that he's sinned only against God? Well, I think we can, we can be sure that he's not saying he did not do wrong by Uriah. It's, it's clear that, that he, he did do wrong by, by Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He, he took it, his wife and then he sent him to his death. But the main point that we can take from, from that verse, verse 4, is that sin, by definition, is always against God. Um, we read in, in the New Testament that it's because of God's law that we know what sin is. Romans 7 and 7, Paul says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So, it's a simple fact then that the sin in all its forms is always against God because God is the one ultimately from whom the idea of right and wrong comes. The idea of morality doesn't exist without God. It's often said actually by um, Christian apologists, Christians who are trying to make the case for, for Christ, 
that the idea of good and evil and right and wrong, it's a problem for atheists. It's a problem for those who don't believe in a higher power, something outside of this um, physical world. Because the question naturally follows, well, who can say if something is good or bad? Who can say if it's right or wrong? Without any kind of standard to compare against, I might have one idea of what's right and wrong, you might have another. Um, so we can see from, from David's words in this psalm, um, he clearly knows that God is the, the ultimate source of right and wrong, of good and evil. And he says that, that phrase, against you, you only, have I sinned. He knows that the sin he's committed is against God, and it's something that would grieve God. So it's because of God that we know when we've sinned, and we know that when we sin, we've disobeyed God and we've grieved him. Um, and sin, by definition, as we said, is falling short of God's standard. And those of us who believe that God's word is, is, um, is true and believe in, in the sovereignty of God, we have to confess, don't we, that the only standard of morality, the only one whose opinion matters, is God's. So for us then, when, when we do sin, when we, when we go wrong in, in this life, it may well be the case that we've wronged someone else and we've caused someone else to, to feel hurt or, or grieved. Um, but ultimately, it's against God that we've sinned because sin is always against God. And it's because of God that we know what sin is. So that's why in the other psalm, David is able to say in Psalm 32 and verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Because David knows, as he's writing that, that to know forgiveness from God is to know forgiveness from the one against whom we've seen. And as we said, it's really the only one whose opinion truly matters for eternity. And, and as a result of that, God is the one whose forgiveness counts, and whose forgiveness is, is full. <coughs> So when we think of sin like that, it, it challenges us in a different way. Um, when we think of our struggle against sin, how can, we, how can we be more successful in that? How can we overcome sin? Um, well, when we think of God as the one who we're sinning against, I think we can say that the extent to which we love God will determine how successful we are in our struggle against sin. We read in Genesis 39 of Joseph, um, and he has the encounter with um, uh, Potiphar's wife. And she, she entices him to, to do something which he knows is wrong and to, um, to come to bed with her. And Joseph's response is um, to say that he's been given everything by his master. He's withheld nothing from him. And Joseph says, how could I then commit such a sin um, and, and do that thing? So it's that phrase, how could I? Clearly, Joseph has such respect for, for his master that he can't even uh, comprehend doing such a thing that would upset him in, and, and anger him in such a way. And that should be our attitude, shouldn't it? As we, as we think of sinning against God, it should be something that's repulsive to us because of our love for God. We, we can't escape the fact and we can't deny that sin appeals to our sinful nature. In all kinds of forms, it, it can be something that, that we, we're drawn to and, um, and we want to do. But again, the extent to which we love God will determine how successful we are in overcoming that and, and combating that. If we're, if we're really in God's word, if, we're have, if we have that strong relationship with God, if we really love God, 
then we'll have that response that Joseph had in Genesis, how could I? And it will be something that, that repels us from sin. So just a challenge to us really to, to consider um, the fact that we, when we sin, we sin against God. And God is someone who's, who's loved us so much and, and given us so much, as we know. Um, and another way of thinking of it is there are things we do for those closest to us that we wouldn't just do for an acquaintance or a stranger. Um, for those who we love the most, we're willing, aren't we, or, or even glad to, to make sacrifices. Things we'd normally choose to do, we're happy to, to forego. Or things that we, would, um, we normally wouldn't be interested in, we're happy to, to do for someone who, who we love. Because we do those things out of love for, for that person. So may it be the same for us towards God. May we, we love God in a way that means we want to change how we live and we want to change our behaviour, do things that we ordinarily wouldn't do and, and avoid things we normally would be drawn to. So the, the challenge there for us to, to think of our love for God and let it um, influence our lives in that way. <clears throat> so David's acknowledged that his sin is against God. He also acknowledges something about the, the human condition. Um, it says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So it's clear from that that David understands that there's a helplessness about our sinful nature. He says, sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Um, it's true for, for us, isn't it? Um, we were looking a few months ago at um, the book of Romans and that deals very much with this subject of um, the idea of, of sin coming to, to all people because of um, Adam. And as a result of that, death comes to all people because all sinned. And it's a, a tragic, helpless situation that we're, we're in where um, from the moment we're, we're born, we, we have this part of us that is... Um, is bound to sin, is, is drawn to sin, and, it, and we refer to it as our sinful nature. So David's aware of that, but he also makes it clear that he's aware of what God's standard is and how far that is from our standard. Um, <clears throat> it says in, the, I'm reading from the NIV, it says you desired faithfulness even in the womb. In other versions, perhaps in your version, it says you desire truth in the innermost being. Um, from what I gather, it's, it's perhaps unclear whether the, the meaning is um, in the womb or in, in our innermost heart, in, in the core of who we are. God desires that we're truthful and we're, we're pure. But either way, um, it reminds us that although it's true that we're born with a sin problem, God's standard is perfection. And God's standard won't be compromised or diluted to, to fit with, with where we're at. Because God is, is a holy God. We've already mentioned God's standard of morality being the only standard that's, that matters. Um, and it's, it's not a moving target. It's not something that God will adjust to allow for, for our shortcomings or our, um, our failures. God's standard is God's standard and it won't be, it won't be touched. Um, if, if God's standard were compromised, then we, we wouldn't be truly able to call him a holy God, would we? If God was prepared to, to compromise on his holiness, then, then what kind of God would that be? <clears throat> but for us, it means, um, it means a problem for our sin. It means we can't just simply shrug away sin, saying, well, we're sinful, we're sinful people, it's just who we are. We can't just brush it off like that, because 
God's standard remains. <clears throat> As we mentioned from the days of Adam and Eve, God's made it clear to us that sin leads to death and eternal separation from him. But thankfully, as we've been thinking this morning in our remembrance, um, God made a way for us to be acceptable to him when he sent his son to, to take the punishment for our sin. So God brought us back to himself without compromising his holiness. And we'll come to that a bit more later. So it seems from those verses then that David is not just concerned with what he's done with, um, with Bathsheba and Uriah. He's evaluating his whole life. He's, he's aware that this, this <coughs> sinful condition is not just um, unique to this, this one incident. It's something that he's, he's clearly been aware of for a time and he's aware of as he's writing his psalm that um, his standard is far short of God's perfect standard and he's, fa- he's um, failed to live up to that standard. This is something that I'm sure all of us can relate to, isn't it? Um, that gap between God's standard and ours. But it's the first step, uh, realising that that gap exists between our standard and God's, is the first step to understanding just what the extent is of God's forgiveness for us. Um, I remember um, a few years ago um, being at some kind of gospel service and uh, someone put up a slide should have had it ready really but it was an image of, of us on one side of a chasm and God on the other side and the bridge is the cross and um, had the word Jesus written on it and it's a very simple illustration for us isn't it but it, it's the truth in that we had this chasm caused by sin between us and God and um, when Jesus came and died for us and was raised again he took that punishment and he, he bridged that chasm between us and God um, just a, a really helpful image for us, I think, when we're um, trying to explain that to others or even for ourselves when we're trying to uh, just appreciate what, what Jesus has done for us. Um, he's bridged that gap between God's standard and our standard, between where we were and where God is. So it means that um, we can have that relationship with God, we can know God again, and we can be reunited to God despite all the sin that we've, we've committed. <clears throat> So we've seen that David acknowledges his sin is against God. He's acknowledged that he's sinful in his very, his very being. Um, and then he has, a, he has a request of God. <clears throat> it says in verse 7 of Psalm 51, Cleanse me of hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. So here David is acknowledging God's unique ability to forgive sins and to remove our guilt. Um, if we were to paraphrase what David is saying there, we could say, um, he says to God, God, no one else can help me, and no one else's opinion matters. If you forgive me, then I'm fully forgiven. That's what that phrase means, isn't it? Whiter than snow. It's not just wash me and I'll be a bit cleaner. Wash me and I'll be better than I was before, but still a way to go. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. It means a complete cleansing, a complete forgiveness. Um, again, we can relate this to the other psalm that we're thinking of today. Um, psalm 32 and verse 3 to 4 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Perhaps again, this is something that many of us or all of us can relate to in a way. Perhaps we can think of times when our, our conscience has been heavy with something that we've, perhaps something we've done or we've said. And 
it's true, isn't it, that that can really sap our ability to, to serve God and to live as God wants us to. Um, perhaps our ability to, to pray or to, to serve in, in church things is restricted or even more we can feel that the stresses and troubles of life, even outside of, of church things, they seem to be magnified, don't they, when, when we're being weighed down by something on our conscience. Um, things that would normally bring us joy are, are diminished. It's a real, um, we can really relate to the words um, in that psalm. Um, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So this is the position that David finds himself in. And he, as we've said, he acknowledges that God is the only one who can help him. And not only that, he, re- he realises that God's forgiveness is something that's truly precious. When we forgive each other, we use that phrase, forgive and forget. Um, it's something that's easy to say, but very difficult to do, isn't it? Um, our ability to forgive and or forget is always limited. Sometimes we're truly willing to forgive someone, but we'll always struggle to forget um, what's been done. We may still remember it from time to time and be prone to thoughts of bitterness or other kinds of um, thoughts towards whoever's wronged us. At other times we might find it difficult to forgive people in the first place, or perhaps we'll kind of bargain with the person and say um, okay I forgive you but, but you owe me one and, and then we'll perhaps be tempted to, to recall someone's wrongdoings um, when it's something that can be an advantage to us, perhaps using them as ammunition um, if we find ourselves being accused of something we can recall the wrongdoings of others to, to act as a defence so we have this very limited uh, broken way of forgiving don't we and it's something that all of us uh, struggle with I'm sure But God's forgiveness isn't like that. Um, Even though God is the only one who's fully entitled to hold our sins against us. He's he's a holy and spotless God, as we've been saying. And even though he has the power and the authority to do whatever he pleases with us, he's willing to to fully forgive. Um, As we've said already in in Psalm 32, in the first few verses, David says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. It's clear that um, God's forgiveness is a total forgiveness. And it's, it's a forgiveness where it says this, um, the Lord does not count the sin against them. And we think of that phrase, don't we? Um, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you've, you've taken our sins from us. So God's forgiveness is a total forgiveness. And this should be something that encourages us to come to God with our sins and know his forgiveness. Because as we've seen in the example of David, it was no small thing that David had done. It led to the death of of a man. Um, But God was willing to forgive and he was forthcoming with that forgiveness. So the, the challenge for us there is, do we rejoice in our forgiveness when we confessed and repented to God? Um... As we become more and more spiritually mature, we're more aware of how sinful we are, aren't we? Um, we we realise just how far we are from that standard of God's. But if anything, this should lead to us being rejoice, uh, rejoicing all the more because we're gaining a deeper understanding of the scale of God's mercy and love for us. Satan wants the opposite of us, doesn't he? He wants us to be permanently weighed down by our guilt. He's, he's known as the accuser. He'll remind us time and time again of what, of what awful people we are and he'll try and make us feel unworthy to be disciples of the Lord Jesus. But what did David do in, in his psalm? He rejoiced. He didn't allow his sin to crush him any longer. 
Uh, once he knew God's forgiveness had been granted to him, he, he rejoiced. And this is the, the challenge for us to do the same, isn't it? So we can take joy from knowing God's forgiveness, just as David did in, in Psalm 32. <coughs> Time's running ahead, so we'll have to, to press through. Um, Psalm 51, uh, the next thing that we can see that David says in Psalm 51 He's, he's acknowledged that his sin is against God. He's acknowledged that he's a sinful person that is very core. And he's acknowledged that it's God who needs to forgive him. Um, he then says those words, create in me a pure heart. So David's longing for a transformation. He's not just looking for, for God to forgive him and then he, he can carry on as he was before. David recognises that this problem of sin is something that needs to be changed. It needs God's intervention if it's going to um, be transformed. Um, for us as those who are alive after Jesus' time after the death and resurrection of Jesus we have a different perspective on this don't we 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old is gone, the new is here so we have that promise that we're a new creation Um, it's easy for us nevertheless isn't it, to get caught up in um, a pattern of sin or a habit of sin perhaps we find ourselves doing the same thing over and over again and it's maybe easy for us sometimes to say well it's okay because God will keep forgiving me God, God will always forgive and that's true of course but Romans 6 and verse 1 helps us with this it says what should we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer or don't you know that all of us who are baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So it's true that, that God will forgive us if we come to him with, with our sins. But um, the point that Paul is making in Romans 6 is that sin was the thing that led us to death. Sin was the thing that separated us from God. So, are we going to go on in sin just because God will forgive us? Surely the answer is no. Surely we want to turn away from that thing that brought death about in us. Um, And we have that assurance in in Romans 8 and 29 that one day we'll be fully conformed to the likeness of Christ. So this transformation, this renewing from God is an ongoing thing, but one day we'll be fully conformed to the likeness of Christ. so as we've said David's come to God and he's confessed his sin and he's asked for that that renewal of his heart um, to be for his heart to be changed so that he might not find himself in this position again and we know from from Psalm 32 that God forgives his sin and God takes away his guilt and it's a full and complete forgiveness um, from the only one whose opinion matters as we've said just to finish, um, we'll look at the, the words of, it's, it's not totally clear, but it's, thought, it's the words of the Lord in Psalm 32. <clears throat> Psalm 32 and verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him.
<clears throat> so, as we've said, the Lord has forgiven the sin, but then he, he gives David and, and us as the readers this, um, this, this command, in, in a sense, not to be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding. Um, why does a horse obey the commands of its rider? Or why does, perhaps we can think of a dog, a pet, a pet dog, doing, doing certain tricks? Why does it do that? Does it do it from a sense of, of this the right thing to do? We know that's not true. I'm sure the, the dog owners among us will attest to the fact that um, dogs don't always do what you, we, we know to be right. And they frequently do what, what is, uh, is wrong. <laughs> but it's, it's not from any kind of sense of moral obligation that they'll do what we want, is it? Um, Animals will do things that, that earn them rewards or treats. They'll avoid things that earn punishments. And it's, it's as simple as that. That's as far as it goes, isn't it? The example in, in the, the psalm is the, the horse or the mule, but um, we can think of any kind of animal as, as being the same, can't we? There's no, there's no understanding there of right or wrong. There's no moral uh, compass in, in, in an animal in that sense. It's simply avoiding punishment and doing things that earn them rewards instead. God is saying he doesn't want us to be like that. He doesn't want it to be as, um, as simple as that. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know his will. He wants us to have that sense of, of right and wrong, of good and evil. <clears throat> Sometimes people will say when faced with a, a moral dilemma, well, why is the Bible so uh, obscure about this particular issue? Why can't the Bible just say, do this, don't do this? Uh, why couldn't God just give us a list of rules and, and if we do these things, we'll get into heaven? Um, well, we know, don't we, as, as those who are, um, who are Christians, that God's word shows us who God is. It's not a simple checklist of things to tick off to earn God's favour. It's not a, a do's and don'ts list. It's the character and the perfect will of God. And unlike the, the horse and the mule, uh, God has given us the ability to know that some things are inherently good and right. Some things are sinful and wrong. And God wants us to, to have that heart, that renewed heart that David spoke of, to choose to do the good things, to choose the things that are in line with God's will. Not for fear of punishment or not for some kind of reward in this life, but simply because they're the things that God wants us to do. So God's pleading with David. He's saying, don't, um, don't simply fear punishment and, and look for reward. He's saying, I want you to know me, David. I want you to understand what is right and wrong and to choose what is right. So may it be the same for us. We've thought already about um, the love God has for us, haven't we, in giving his son. And he loved us so much uh, that he made that, that sacrifice to bring him back to himself. So the, the question for us is, how will we respond? Will we have that desire to know God more? Will we, will we make the most of that relationship that we have with him? Will we choose to obey God's will not simply for, for the convenience or benefits it will bring us, but because it's God's will and, and we love God. And will we, will we uh, like David, will we ask God for that renewed heart and that, um, that repentance that will mean we're, um, we're no longer caught in sin and doing things that, that God despises, but rather choosing the things that God loves and, and to follow God's perfect will. Shall we pray? <clears throat>